a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Here's our host, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio. That's a fact. No joke. Check it out. Come to my office. Those are just a few of the phrases that President Biden used in his State of the Union address last night and other speeches when he's convincing people that what he's saying is true. So the question coming out of the State of the Union is how much of what was said was really no joke, really checked out, and was a fact. Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. We do want to do a little fact-checking on the State of the Union, not in a gotcha kind of way. I'm not interested in that at all. But I do think we have to look beyond the headlines and the one-liners and the applause lines. And to help us do that, Glenn Kessler is the editor-in-chief writer of the Fact Checker at the Washington Post and uh, is always on top of checking the facts. And uh, they did uh, their homework last night as we went through the State of the Union. And, uh, Glenn, thanks for joining us today. Glad to be with you. Uh, so let's let's jump right on in. Uh, you listed about 13 uh, statements that uh, the president made that were, to one degree or another, maybe not uh, a no joke. Check it out. That's a fact uh, <laughs> standard. Uh, and so let's let's start with one that I thought was really interesting uh, that you pointed out. And that was uh, the president's statement that when he said for too many decades, we have imported products and exported jobs. Now, thanks to all we've done, we're exporting American products and creating American jobs. Take us down that slope. Uh, yes, well, this is um, this is one of these things where he's telling only about half the story. Uh, the exports are up. That means more U.S. products are being shipped overseas. But it doesn't necessarily mean that jobs are no longer being shipped overseas, uh, because actually imports are also up. And in fact, imports are up even more than exports which is one reason why the trade deficit is at a record high. Yeah, I think that uh, 45% jump during his presidency, I think, is a significant thing. And again, it just shows that you have to get the rest of the story, the full story uh, on a lot of these things that can be really nice political talking points. Uh, You also pointed out one about the number that the president used when it comes to infrastructure. Tell us about that. Well, he uh, has this line, and he actually used a similar line in the uh, State of the Union last year, so he must like it. He says, we used to be number one in the world in infrastructure, and now we're 13th. Um, and it's, this is based on some rankings from the World Economic Forum, where they looked at 140 different countries. Um, and... Uh, you know, the infrastructure ranking is its a bit misleading the way the president names it. Because, yes, if you look at the list, um, the list is 12. Uh, 
I'm sorry, it's 13th. But a number of those economies that are supposedly better are like basically city-states, Singapore, Hong Kong, and the United Arab Emirates. Mm. And then, um, you know, uh, a bunch of other countries, such as the Netherlands, Switzerland, Japan, they're, you know, the, the European countries, there are about six of them in that list, they're one unit. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a borderless area. The goods yeah. and people travel through them freely. It's, so when, you, when we recalculated and looked at the 10 geographically largest countries, so that's like Australia, China, Russia, the United States actually place, places first. Yeah. And it was also top among the 10 most popular, uh, populous countries. Yeah, so interesting. So again, the whole story is what we have to, to look at at those. Uh, one that the president often likes to talk about uh, when we talk about spending and deficits. And uh, in the last two years, the president said, my administration cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion, the largest deficit reduction in American history. What's the rest of the story? Well, the rest of the story is the deficit was supposed to fall, and he didn't cut it as much as it was expected to. So there's an uh, this entity here in Washington called the Congressional Budget Office, which is kind of like the official scorekeeper, and they do all sorts of estimates and that sort of thing. So when Biden became president, the CBO had estimated the budget deficit would fall dramatically in both fiscal year 2021 and 2022 um, and because of all the emergency pandemic spending that would end. So... Um, so Biden enacted more COVID relief funds. He added all sorts of other policies. Uh, and so uh, and while revenues went up, his spending went up way much more than that. So in the end, the deficit was smaller. The deficit reduction was smaller than what was projected. So, for instance, uh, the deficit was projected to be $1 trillion in 2022 because of Biden's policies is $1.4 trillion. So he's, he's like playing a bit of a show game there. Yeah, a little bit of a, a, a cat and mouse there for sure. Uh, one of the uh, interesting points of the night, uh, and I, it's almost become the go-to line for President Biden when he wants to goad Republicans uh, into a, a crazy response. Uh, he he went to it again last night, said some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. And then, of course, there was a raucous uh, interruption. And he says, not the majority. Uh, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, well, uh, he's referring to a... uh, a pamphlet released by Senator Rick Scott of Florida last year. And in that 
pamphlet, it had a line that said all federal – one proposal it had for restructuring the government was all federal legislation such that's in five years. If a law is worth keeping, Congress can pass it again. And the idea there is that, you know, some Republicans believe that things just happen on autopilot. Anyway, he never specifically said Medicare or Social Security. And in fact, when he was asked about that after the thing was issued, he said, I'm not talking about Medicare and Social Security. I'm talking about other programs. Uh, but, you know, he didn't specify it. And um, so the White House has been running with that now for about a year. Yeah. Uh, and and his plan was rejected by Mitch McConnell, the Senate uh, uh, you know, Republican leader, all sorts of other Republicans. Um, but um, so when Biden was saying, you know, I'm not saying it's a majority, he can barely point, he can point to Rick Scott, who doesn't even believe it himself. So, yeah. And I, and I thought that was the, I actually thought that was the more offensive part uh, was, you know, it's one thing to, to say that, but then when there was the, the reaction from the Republicans, you know, for him to say it's, it's, well, it's not, I'm not saying it's a majority, uh, meaning that it's a big number and it's really a, a number indistinguishable from zero. Uh, and so I think that was a, an interesting little parlay. Again, good politics, uh, but I don't think uh, that's what the State of the Union, uh, as outlined in the Constitution, is actually supposed to be for. Uh, I want to sneak in another one just really quick before I let you go. Uh, and that is um, on the uh, banning of assault weapons uh, once and for all. He talked about leading the fight in 1994. Uh, give us some perspective on how that really played out and where we really are. Right. So that it, it uh, 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 lasted 10 years. And, and one of the things that, that Biden said, and this is a line he actually ad-libbed. It was not in his prepared text. He said, if we let it expire, after we let it expire in a Republican administration, mass shootings tripled. So there are all sorts of studies that have tried to examine this, and they're all over the lot. Uh, and the study that the president is relying on has been criticized by a number of experts uh, as not being accurate. There are other uh, studies that come to different conclusions. I mean, the one thing, since we, you want me to be brief, the one thing I will note is there's much more evidence that, that laws uh, banning of large capacity magazines, th- things that hold more than 10 rounds, actually had a bigger impact than the ban on assault weapons. And there, there's better research or more definitive research that suggests that that ban uh, may have reduced the number of deaths, but not necessarily the ban on assault weapons. Yeah. And then finally, uh, finally for you, Glenn, um, I know you don't do Pinocchios on uh, on this kind of roundup and, and speech, uh, but how did the president compare to other State of the Union addresses in kind of the fact-checking department? Uh, you know, um, uh, well, he certainly, you know, Donald Trump was – that was always pretty wild, the fact check. We, we would our, our fact checks would have 28, 30 different things <coughs> excuse me, that were, that were false or misleading. Uh, you know, Obama was certainly better than, than Biden generally. I mean, he would, they're all used car salesmen, in effect, and they're all trying to sell you their policies. So, you know, we try to check under the hood. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Obama was definitely much more careful. And Biden gets in trouble when he ad libs stuff. Yeah. yeah which uh, Obama never did. Yeah. The discipline to that, I think, is a, is a real art. There's such a temptation to crowd surf uh, when you're in that environment. And uh, I think President Obama's 
discipline to not do that, I think, uh, served him him very well. Uh, well, Glenn Kessler is the editor and chief writer of The Fact Checker at The Washington Post. Uh, he is the fact checker's fact checker. And uh, Glenn, we appreciate you giving us some perspective today. You're welcome. All right. Uh, that's some important stuff. And again, I look at fact checking not as a gotcha, not as a trying to undercut anything, but we have to make sure we have context and we have the rest of the story because cheap political applause lines are easy. But that's not what the State of the Union is for. It's to have a conversation about things that are expedient and necessary for the success and future of the Union, the United States of America. And we have to check the facts so we can be both equal opportunity offender when they get it wrong and equal opportunity commender when they get it right. With Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America, but this story is still unfolding. I'm Andreas Martin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.